today we are continue our series, a wisdom series in Proverbs, an everyday faith. How God's word applies to our Mondays, our Fridays, our Saturdays, and our Sundays. Today, we are here to talk about words. Wisdom and words. The premise, some of the ideas behind the discussion, that if you read all of scripture, you will find this, that there is power in words. Said backwards, words are powerful. All you need to do is study history and you will find how history has moved to the left or to the right. Wars started and stopped. Issues come and gone through words. You know, there's studies in it. You know, we hear a lot about marriage. There's a lot of studies. There's one particular study that I've came across and studied that that did a study on marriage. And they looked at couples over years and even decades. And they found couples, as you'd expect, that stayed together throughout many decades and others, unfortunately, and as the statistics tell us, separated. And they wanted to see what was the commonality, what was the driving point about staying together or driving apart. And they initially had their list of all kinds of things. How much were in love were they at the beginning? For sure, the greater the love at the beginning, the greater the constancy at the end. How many troubles did they have? How much money did they have? Education, background, all these things. But you know what they found? The surprising thing? It came down to words. The couple's that separated had on average 10% of their words were non-edifying or hurtful or in some way negative or painful to the spouse. In our vernacular, we would say some form of a put down. Why did you put that there? Why didn't you do it that way? That doesn't look good or da-da-da, whatever. The couples that made it, what, were they perfect? Never? No. No. It was about half. 5% of the commentary was unhelpful. And that two times different created all the difference. And it created a trend. The two times at the end, by the time of the separation and a divorce, became five times separate. The couples that had learned how to speak to each other and not let the natural gravity, and after we get to know each other, right, we get to know each other's flaws, it's a little easier to find something negative to say, right, at the beginning, oh, it's all good. At the end, I know a little more, and she knows a little bit more. It could be more to say. The power of the word was their conclusion from a humanistic standpoint of what made the difference. Do an exercise with me just for a second. If you would go back in your mind and think of some of your most amazing and most powerful memories, the ones that stick with you, I am guessing that many of them, maybe even a majority of them, are a phrase, a sentence, or a word that someone said to you and I. Something wonderful or something extremely hurtful that to this day we haven't forgotten. We hear stories about parents and fathers 
who have destroyed children, still working in their 40s and 50s and 60s to recover from words that are hurtful. Words are sharp. The backdrop here is they're going to cut one way or the other. Words are sharp and they either give life like a surgeon's scalpel or they destroy and they maim like a murderer's knife. But words are sharp. They are rarely neutral. So it is no wonder that scripture has a lot to say for us. And so our goal for today is if we are to have everyday success in our Christian walk, we will need wisdom in the ability, in the application of how we handle the words that come out of our mouth. We will need wisdom for how we handle our words. We're going to have four cures. Those four key areas for us are we are here to recognize the difficulty. We're here to research the details. We're going to retool. And we need to repent. So frame your mind that way. Recognize, research, retool, and repent. We need to recognize the difficulty. And for this, we turn to our brother James. If you'd like to follow along, we're going to be in James chapter Three towards the end of the Bible, end of the New Testament, James says it this way, starting in verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, We guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. He says there in verse 8 that it's a deadly poison. It's full of unrighteousness. And we think, all right, who can tame it? What can we do? And he's going along like it can't be. But he gives us hope when he says that it ought not be. That there ought to be something different. That there can be. 
And that is really the conundrum that Scripture leaves us with, that it is difficult. We need to recognize that this will not happen by chance. If we have made our claim to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and if we've gone along for 5, 10, 20, 30 years, we will not by the natural course of events be able to tame our tongue. We need to recognize that it is much more difficult than that. But that with God and with his Holy Spirit, James is hinting that it can and should be done to the glory of God and to the edification of his people. I would say to us that I think, and this is just maybe the whole idea of the pride of in your current day, it seems to be to maybe be getting harder. Be getting harder because to me, words are getting less. Our knowledge and our vocabulary is getting less. Everything is getting just shorter and quicker. You can see what's on TV all the times. The issues of it. Watch the sitcoms. <laughs> Don't watch the sitcoms. Pay attention to it. The idea of it's harsh. The jokes are at somebody else's expense. They're put downs. It is a vulgar language. It is becoming vile. It has very little edification. The way we learn to speak and how we communicate is not getting stronger. Look at the writers of today versus many of the writers of yesteryear. An average writer in high school could put to shame some that are in the profession today. I get some teachers nodding their head, right? Amen. It is difficult to teach because what we're learning at home doesn't match what sometimes we're trying to teach in school. And we are swept along by the same kind of phrasing, using even partial words, not even full words, phrases instead of sentences, implications instead of specific meaning. And I think Satan has a lot of victory in the ambiguity. It's getting harder and we need to recognize it. But it's important, therefore, to research things. We can't just speak generically. Let's, let's research the specifics. Let's look globally first. We said already that the words are either destroying or they're helpful. They're either being a words of life or words of destruction. We'll see if I... You know, mention all of these to you, but in my notes, and if you read through the Proverbs, because as we already discussed, Proverbs goes all over the place, and so does the scripture on this topic. James just had a big section, but it's all over. Proverbs 26, 28. A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Words that destroy. There are times where we feel, even maybe for some good things, that we might lie or we might just adjust the truth. It's not helpful. Truth and love is what the scripture is calling us. Not partial truths or half-truths or untruths, if you will. And a flattering tongue is not what God is looking for. It's a big distinction between compliments, which we will come to and discuss. But flattery is manipulative and is turning around and it is not really what's in our heart. It is setting up to get something for ourselves later. It has little concern for the individual and is setting up for failure. Harsh anger, gossip. Since we're in chapter 26, look in verse 22. 
In the ESV, it uses the word whisper. It's identical here, if you will, to the idea of gossip. The words of a whisper are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. The idea of discussing about others in a way that is unhelpful. When they're not around. And this is interesting. Watch this sometime. You know, in my better moments, I've done this, and I don't know how it worked out, but the experiments. Sit in a conversation sometimes, and unfortunately it can happen in families, it can happen in tight groups, especially happens in groups that are really tight or clicky, if you will. You start sitting in this group, and guess what you end up talking about a lot? Not each other and what you're doing, a lot about the other groups and the other people. It is easy and it is natural. And it is not helpful. And we need to know it. The Bible talks a lot about babbling. I could have used a bunch of verses, but let's take a look at chapter 10. Prattling is a word, an old word that I love that we don't use much, but a prattler, someone prattles on. Babbling. 10.19, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. If you want another one, 13.3, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. God is looking for us to use good words Look at 16.24. This is not what he wants. What he wants is the other. And Proverbs is found the other way. 16.24. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Isn't that a wonderful verse? You ever feel like you're down and even your bones are hurting and everything's down? And what it's telling us here, someone could come alongside of us and tell us gracious words. And I don't have the time today, but I would encourage you for homework, figure out what a gracious word is. A word full of grace. God's truth, God's wisdom, his word applied to my life in a meaningful and accurate way would be full of grace. We can't just, I'm down, I'm hurting, you know, someone's lost a child. We can't just say, you know, what a beautiful day. Matter of fact, I don't have it written down, but in the studies, there is one, there's a verse in Proverbs that says, if somebody is down and hurting, I'm paraphrasing, if somebody's down and hurting, don't start to come up with them singing songs. Don't sing songs, weep with them, grieve with them. A gracious word is not one that is not fit for the moment. So we can't just even rest on these words. Matter of fact, Proverbs itself says, a proverb in the mouth of a fool is like legs that are lame on a man. Can't walk. They're useless. A gracious word, though, full of grace and love and gentleness. There's a couple found right in 15. So if you want to write down a little section, there are, there are little sections. 15, 2 through 7 has a few. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of fools pours out folly. What are we talking about here? God is looking for us to have knowledge. When we want to speak words of life, they have to be full of knowledge. The lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the heart of fools, in verse 7. 
Verse 4, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness and it breaks the spirit. Gentleness, knowledge, truth, and those aren't going to come just by happenstance. Lord, give me a knowledgeable word. It's going to come from effort. It's going to come from knowing what the knowledge of God's mind is, which he has left for us. A gentle word. I want to highlight a point. When we're sitting quietly and when no one is around, are there words being spoken to us? Have you had that situation in your life when all those negative thoughts come to you and those words about yourself, you're not good enough, you're not capable enough, you're not bright enough, all those things? Who's that speaking to us, tempting us? The accuser, the liar. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us, and Satan is speaking to us. When we're quiet, there is a battle, and there are words coming at us. And then they come at us all over the place, off the radio, off of things we pick up, off of TV, off of magazines. All these things come at us. So when we talk about having an appropriate word, it is God using us as his vehicle of the Spirit to encourage others and to combat the difficult and destroying words. It is not just a quiet word if someone says something to us, if they don't. It is coming at us all the time to wear us out, to destroy us. And the last word I want to highlight that gives life for us as we research 1 John 1.9. Many of you know it. But a word of life that you might not have thought of that didn't hit me initially is confession. Because it leads us in. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. We need to use our words to praise God and to say what is true and that Jesus Christ is Lord and he is my Lord. And I can't, but he can. I am weak, but he is strong. I cannot persevere, but he has persevered. I can't hold on, but he can hold me. I need to confess that I have sinned yesterday, Lord, and it was here and here. Please forgive me. Confession brings life. When we confess to somebody we've hurt, when we go to them, we create life in the relationship. Not when we just confess upwards, but when we confess to the one we've hurt. Let's remember to use confession as a word and a way of healing. And that's where it hits personally, not just globally. We know all these things. We can walk out of here with some intellectual knowledge, maybe a little bit of, I get it a little more. Words are powerful. Words are this. That's wonderful. I hope everybody's paying attention. What about in my heart and in my life? Retool. If you're looking at the handout, this is when we finally get to our key verse for the day. This is the way God set it up for me in my heart. To retool. The heart of the wise, 1623. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. 
And if you give me some grace, I really like it in some other translations a little better. I looked it up in the King James Version and many others. I think the King James Version in this situation, I think, is more helpful. We thank God for the different ways we can look at it. Look at it in the King James Version. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his life. Let's repeat that again, because this is something worth writing down and worth paying attention to. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. So why do we title this section Retooling? Because we have to add the skills. This is one that is effort. We can't say, you know what, right now, uh, you know, I play sports, and maybe I can use a sports analogy. I've decided I'm going to be a good golfer. What are you going to do about it? Nothing. I just decided. Where are you going to go practice chipping and putting and hitting? I've heard that it's quite difficult. I don't think so. I think I've seen it. I think I've understood that it's difficult. I embrace that. I've decided I'm going to be a wonderful chef. Do you know anything about ingredients and heats and temperatures? No. But I don't think that should matter because my heart is there to be a good chef. Our words need the same kind of effort. We need to retool. There are things, there are bad habits we have got to work hard and get rid of. And there are habits that we do not have. There is knowledge that we do not have. And that is why scripture says, the heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. Fundamentally, this is a heart issue and a heart rolls up. So what are some of the things we can learn? I want to give you just quickly, I'm going to give you seven skill sets, seven characteristics and attributes that we as believers, we as individuals that want to make meaningful contributions with our words to change the world with words because that's what Christ did. That is what his Holy Spirit is doing every day. Off the lips of broken vessels, lives in the world is being changed. Timing. You can look it up, Ecclesiastes 3. Ecclesiastes 3, right? There's a time for everything and, you know, and there's a time not for everything. Ecclesiastes 3, 7, in the timing passage, there is a time to speak and there is a time to refrain from speaking. And then we wonder, we sit here and uh, Peter discusses with me this idea of we wish the Proverbs were a little more, do this exactly. But no, it kind of leaves you there a lot. There's a time to speak and there is a time to refrain from speaking. Okay, I can kind of wrap my head around that. Which, which is the time? You know, right now I'm wondering, should I be speaking or should I not? Well, that's where the tools come in and that's where the difficulty and that's where the studying and that's where the prayer and the communion and the walk with the Holy Spirit comes in. In Proverbs 27, timing, 27, 14. This is one of those Proverbs you tend to skip over until you really see some application, which again, I would point us to the difference between reading scripture, studying and meditating on it. Meditate on verse 14. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice, rising early in the morning. At first we're like, amen, we gotta bless our neighbors. Rise up early in the morning, bless our neighbors. What does it say? It will be counted as cursing. Well, try it. Wake up a neighbor at five in the morning. Proud of you, you're wonderful. Dude, I got to bed at four in the morning. How about calling me in the afternoon? Silly a little bit, right? 
But the scripture is highlighting our nuances. We want to praise people. We want to encourage them or this. We want to do it when? When it's convenient for me. What kind of wording is that? How about find the timing that God had, that it is appropriate and helpful and encouraging, and it becomes a true praise versus a curse. The same words at the wrong time, all the difference. There's a time to speak, and there's a time to refrain from speaking. Restraint. We've hinted at this. We've seen it in Proverbs 10.19. You've already seen it there, 13.3. I want to read it to you in Proverbs 17. Because this highlights the issue. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent, right? There's that old joke, you know, better to be thought a fool than to to open your mouth and remove all doubt. That's what the scripture, that's what the Proverbs is getting at here. There is a time of restraint and we need to know it. Timing and restraint. 1528, to think The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Scripture's calling them evil. It's not, I don't think, necessarily intended that it is evil, meaning speaking all about the most evil and vile things. No, it is saying things that aren't helpful and aren't necessarily true. We were even hinted at it in a praise team. Sometimes our own advice is not helpful. Therefore, it is evil if it's not what God would have said. So what is it looking for us to do? The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. If there is a question, if I'm so quick to always answer, first thing that comes to my mind, shoot from the hip. You know, there might be a time for that. But for sure, there is a time to say, let me think about that. And then to actually think about it, not just to come back two days later and we see them and they're coming up, ooh, now I got four seconds to think about it because they're walking up at me, think, 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 quick, think, okay, I got my answer. It would be better to say again, you know what, I haven't given it enough thought. My apologies. I need to think about this. And what are we going to use to think? What are we going to ponder on? Just idly? Are we going to think and ponder and find examples of this situation? Look into the word. See what God has to say. See examples in scripture. See examples in life. Go back to our experiences where God's spirit has worked. And after we've done the hard work, the weightlifting, if you will, when we've done sweating this out, say, I think I have a word for you. I have a word of prophecy for you. It doesn't come like that. It comes only with sweat. Are we willing? Do we love each other enough to sweat it out? Scripture pushes here even further. It gets difficult. By the way, this got difficult for me as I was studying it. 2511. 
If you look at all of chapter 25 and 26, if you're looking at two chapters that have a lot, 25 and 26 have a lot about words. They jump around, but they have a lot. 2511, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. By the way, I almost brought, you know, Annie was not here, so I went downstairs and got all her Christmas stuff, and I even set up a little bit at the house. I got these silver trays, and I put some, you know, golden stuff on it, and I was looking at it. I thought, I might bring this, but I thought someone's going to tell Annie, and then we're going to mess it all up, and so just keep it between us. But we got this, you know, it was beautiful. I was looking at this, this is a little bit, I just wanted to go see it. You know, I didn't have exactly apples. I know we had some, but I think she gave them away. So I had little golden candles in the settings of silver, three-tiered. Three it really is beautiful. But what is it getting at here? It's not just some arbitrary beauty or the coloring of beauty. What is 2511 saying? A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Something amazing, this idea of gold and silver and setting them in contrast and to each other and like an apple that has life, that gives life with gold and all the silver that lasts forever and all these things is so, but what is a word fitly spoken? properly spoken. So then we get to our conundrums again. What is a word that is fitly spoken? What is it when it is proper? Because it means it could be an unfit word is the evil side. An improper word takes us right back to the negative, which if we're unsure, we go back to our restraint. But I would say if you want to use a word, one of the studies I was looking at used this word a lot, that the chapters are tied up in this word of competence. We need to make sure that we words we have have competence behind them. They have a study behind them. They have truth on their side. They have the knowledge of what is accurate and real, not what is just perceived. We cannot be people to give that fit word like apples of gold and settings of silver if we don't have enough knowledge. It doesn't mean we don't say much. Means sometimes we don't say on everything, but on certain topics, oh, we can say what can help and what can, where we can find joy, and where we can find our peace. A helpful word, but we do need to have confidence. This is the conundrum section again. Twenty-six. Listen, follow along in this. Uh, Twenty-six, four, and five. And again, this is where the study comes in because I got stuck on this for a while and it took me a while. 26.4 says it this way, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like himself. This also encourages why you read things in context, not just by themselves. Because if we stop here, someone says, tell me a truth, Stan. Well, the tr- truth is this. If someone is prowling around with foolish words, do not answer them because you will be like a fool yourself if you get involved in this discussion. So you take it as a principle and you quit, Right? Until you get to verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. It flips it around. It says, wait, whoa, whoa, don't let somebody just, you know, just walk around just prattling around foolish comments. Deal with it. Call them on it. Say that's not accurate. Otherwise, they're walking around thinking they're right. Okay, Lord, which one is it? Don't answer a fool because you'll be like a fool. Or answer a fool so they don't walk around thinking they're wise in their own eyes. I think what God is saying to us, use your judgment, use wisdom. At times, don't answer. You know, you feel it sometimes. You start to answer, you start, you're like, this is not going to go well. I'm getting dragged right into this, and it's going to become two silly people arguing, and that's what everyone's going to see. Don't go there. But how do we know? Pray, Holy Spirit, help me. Take a pause, take a moment. But then there's other times where we don't answer. Why? Because of our own pride. 
because we don't want to get pulled in. Well, it's not our problem. I didn't start this, and the God says, no, right here, I want you to have confidence that I've got your back. I need you to answer this to stop the false words. I need you to get involved. So with the competence, we'll create some confidence. We'll create the ability for discernment to say when to hold back and when to get involved. And this was a great section, 24 and 5 in chapter 26, because really, Lord, I was reading it. I couldn't make heads of it at first. What are we trying to say here? And it took a little effort. And I hope and pray that God blessed the effort. Reproof. I'm going to save time on some of the verses here. But God wants us to reprove each other. He wants us to speak honestly. He wants us to speak lovingly. He wants us to assist each other in areas where we're weak, in areas where we have blind spots. Our words can be words of instruction and correction, and they may even sting. But there is a big difference if we give this truth in love with a hope of building up, with a grand vision for how this individual is growing, with esteeming them higher than myself and seeing them all here and they just need a little push to get them up and get their wings so they can be all the amazing things that God has for them. Giving reproof in that way, you will likely get tears and a hug and say thank you versus who are you to tell me anything? Speaking this way with reproof versus this way. But we do need to reprove in love and encourage. And the last one, number seven, I wrote it down very simply and very basically. I said we need to compliment. It's a personal thing of mine that I see a lot throughout scripture. I see that we are leaving some of the encouraging words. I don't know what we think is encouraging at times, if we don't find the things that someone is doing well and highlight them and highlight them and highlight them and highlight them all over the place. And then we can go back when we have a reproof, how well do you think it will be received if it has been characterized by this is going well, this is going well, this is, you know, improving this area needs a little work. Maybe it's the generations we've grown up in, this idea, you know, I heard it all my life, different things from all different people all over the place. Oh, we don't want them to get a big head. Oh, we don't want this. Oh, we don't want that. I am less worried about that. I'm sure that is an issue, and I believe it, and it takes discernment, and we've got to watch for that. But I think the bigger issue is children and others that are being demeaned and hurt and broken down. I think the issue is more of the harsh words. When we raise our voice, when we don't intend to, when we say mean things and harsh things, when we don't compliment, when we don't find it and pause and give a call, or a text, you have blessed me. You have this skill. I don't know if you notice this, but God is using you in this area. Amen, brother. Amen, sister. Keep it up. You have a voice like an angel. You can write like a poet. Your ability to organize and keep this in check is literally encouraging and exciting. It's amazing how you can keep the ledger, how you deal with the children, or how you turn a little story or phrase for the kids. How you can kick that soccer ball is literally a blessing. I'm not sure if it's competition. I'm not sure if it's our own insecurities. I'm not sure if it's just cultural. But I hear a lot more of the negative. I hear a lot more of the gossip and a lot less of the compliments. 
And I know God has blessed each and every one of us and all those in our communities and all of our neighbors and everyone in our homes and are here with a lot of amazing, amazing abilities. May or may not have been using it for God's glory, but they are no matter what in a way. I want to encourage us. I'll just give you a quick two highlights. They're very, very simple. I won't even give anything more away. I got a phone call this week from, from an individual here physically in a room. Very encouraging, complimentary, wonderful. It blessed my heart. It came in a moment, God's word. Got an email. Um, I'll, this will give a little broader. The elders do a lot of stuff in email because we can't get together. There was a nice email from one of the elders to me, copying all the other elders. Really encouraging. And those types of things that go back and forth, they really, really mean something. A short little email. We just say praise God for that and bless the individuals who took the moment and took the time. And the last one, after we've retooled, we've talked about repentance in 1 John, but let's hear it a little deeper. Matthew, let's turn into the New Testament. Matthew chapter 12, as we wind, make the turn for home. We talked about it really, really, at the end of the day, is a heart issue. Matthew starts to highlight this, and Romans will bring it home. Verse 34, just read three verses. You brood of vipers. Let's talk about strong words. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If there's times to underline in your Bible, this is a good time. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. What it's highlighting for us here, the writer Matthew is saying that there is a treasure house inside of us. The treasure house is what is stored in our heart. And whether it is an evil storehouse or it is a righteous storehouse, whatever fills our heart will eventually make it out and it will be what the words are on our mouth. So we don't accidentally gossip and put down and we don't accidentally slander. We don't accidentally just always critique. That is a heart issue. It is what is in our heart. If we are feeding God's spirit and his words in our heart, it will put in our hearts words of grace and words of brokenness and words of encouragement because that is what his spirit is speaking to us all day long. What is he saying to us? I know you're not good enough. I know you're a sinner, but trust me, I'm taking you with me. You will have mansions in glory. You will rise again. You will be sanctified. You are righteous in me. You will be perfect for I am perfect. You will be that way. For a time it is difficult, but it will be that way. Oh, that changes our hearts. And what's in our heart is what we feed. Negative thoughts, critical thoughts, loathsome thoughts of ourselves and others, thoughts of fear all over the place, right? Amen, fear. I'm afraid of this. I'm worried about this. What about that? What about that? That's out of the treasure house of our heart. It is not that our mouth is speaking just on its own. 
it is speaking in connection with the heart. And times we try to fool it, and that's a little bit where flattery and manipulation and all these things come in. We try to change it, but it, 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 only for a moment. The truth comes out. Apostle Paul teaches us well in Romans chapter 10. Just two verses. Verses 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Isn't that amazing how he puts it there? That God's spirit goes in us and allows us to believe in our hearts and what's in our hearts will come out. If we really believe in our hearts, we will confess it and we will be saved. The justification and the salvation work together in the heart and in the mouth. And he's highlighting for us how important the word is to speak the word of truth. The words of Christ the words of our salvation, the words of our Lord. So what have we learned today, hopefully, for our everyday faith, for this coming Tuesday? Words are powerful. I believe that God uses words primarily to change the world. He has left us his word. We can go deeper in this, that Jesus was the word and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. His spirit speaks word into us and asks us to speak his word out. Recognize the challenge. Research the specifics. Retool and retrain ourselves. Repent. The wisdom of how to speak. The message we're trying to convey is often not what we are saying but how we say it. Do we need to give effort to the wisdom and application of our words? I think so. I believe so. It might be helpful if I leave you with a quick story. I found this on YouTube doing some research. So if you want to look it up, it's, uh, look, just look up Power of Words, YouTube, a lot of hits. Um, yeah, and I didn't want to make Mikey's life miserable and try to create a YouTube and, uh, video today, so go home and check it out. But the story is interesting, and it goes like this. You know, there's, a, there's an older gentleman, gray-haired gentleman, sitting outside, maybe some capital steps, you know, some, you know, the center town square, and he's sitting there with a little silver can, and he's got his sign. It's a little cardboard sign, right? We're seeing a lot of them nowadays, aren't we? A little cardboard sign says... I'm blind, please help. And the video is done beautifully, and the people walk by, and you hear a little clink, you know, a little quarter and a little 50-cent piece and a little dime and clink. People walk by and a little clink. There's this lady that walks by. And the lady looks and reads the sign and starts to walk by, and she thinks better of it, something, and she comes back and looks at the gentleman and he could tell, you know, he has good hearing and he hears. And this lady standing in front of him, without saying a word, she takes his sign. And he has a marker there. And she flips it over and starts writing. She's writing and she's writing. And she sets the sign back up and walks away. 
walks away and the video goes on and all of a sudden when people walk by you hear you know you know, handfuls of quarters and all the change we got and people just dropping and he's pulling money in and he's pulling all of this and all the day goes by and a woman seems to maybe walk this way back home from work so at the end of the day she comes up and she sees all this and she had stops right back in front and what he had done originally when she was there standing there he had felt you know her shoes and she's got beautiful green shoes and she he touches her shoes and he could see and so she comes back and stands there again. And he touches her feet and her shoes. And he asks her, he goes, Ma'am, what did you write on my sign? He said, it says in a beautiful like, Scottish or Irish accent, I wish I could do it. What did you write on my sign? And she answers, I said the same. I just changed the words. And then you pan and you see the sign that says, it's a beautiful day and I can't see it. And I had to think about that. What did it do? It turned it from a, I'm blind, please help. Have pity on me. Some coming in here, didn't touch people. They're not blind. They're not thinking this way. Change the words to say there's a vision here. It's a beautiful day. My heart is telling me it's a beautiful day. I'm sitting out here. It's not raining. It's a beautiful day. I just can't see it. It created empathy. It created a joy. It created sensitivity. It created community. It created a vision, and people responded. Brothers and sisters and friends, it's not always what we say. It is, are we putting the hard effort to figuring out how to be skilled into how to say things. The right time in the right way are like apples of gold and settings of silver. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we know that we are so weak and we are so fallen. We ask you just for a simple thing. We ask you, Lord, to motivate us to look into your word, to see the examples of how you spoke to the hurting to the downtrodden. You gave them physical help, but you gave them a word of encouragement, a word of hope, a word of truth. Lord, we know that there's much for us to learn and we fail in these areas all the time. And so we confess it to you, our sin and our frailty, our eagerness to lift ourselves up and gently put others down. Lord, we ask for your grace. Let the jokes that we tell be jokes that are godly and that are hilarious and funny and lift up the glory of wit and humor, not ones that come at others' expense and sarcasm and all that is evil. Lord, we ask for your wisdom. We ask for your grace, not for our sake, Lord, but for the sake of this world that others can come to know you, may glorify you, may hear the words of grace and come to know you. We ask for nothing less, Lord, but to assist us in this or everyday faith. Amen.